This is Flipping the Script Podcast, the soon-to-be number one leadership podcast for purpose-driven leaders and great guest experts who give us a unique insight into what leadership looks like behind the scenes. I'm Shalia Stafford, your host, and I'm committed to helping you lead your challenges using leadership strategies to gain new perspectives, fuel your growth, and transform the way you execute on your success. Welcome back, everyone. It's Shalia here. We're going to jump straight into this today. Right now, as you are all listening to this podcast, you have a leadership strategy that you are using to move about in the world. It's your operating system. Whether it's strategic, impactful, or if you're a leader worth following can all be debated, but not the fact that you are leading with a strategy and it's leaving an impact on you, the people around you, and your work. The question becomes, how can we revolutionize our leadership mindset to create a positive impact that isn't always easy? but it's worthwhile. Where do we start with deconstructing our mindset and understanding our own strategies? What does the process look like in the beginning, the middle, and through the evolving, changing seasons of our lives? And how do we know we're on the right path? Today, we're going beyond the surface level talk with our guest expert to discuss the mindset required to lead the complexities of success throughout work and life. But it starts with how we view our world. I am so thrilled to introduce our guest expert today, Tony Brooks. Tony is a leadership specialist with over 12 years experience developing business owners and leaders. He's a qualified psychologist to master's level and brings a strong psychological approach to his leadership coaching and training, believing that the way you think and see your world is paramount to the successful actions you do. He's also an author to a leadership book called The PI Leadership, which will be included in the show notes at the end. Tony, we are so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for investing in our purpose-driven leaders and sharing your journey and expertise with us. Hey, well, thank you very much for inviting me to join you. I'm uh, very much looking forward to uh, spending some time with you today on the listeners. Tony, as a tradition of the show, we like to ask our guests a few fire away questions just to get to know you a little better. Shall we fire away? You fire away. All right. So what is something that you're curious about right now? Curious about right now? Actually, um, you were were just referring in the sort of start of the podcast episode that um, the criticality of your mindset and the way you think. And Mm. what is fascinating me at the moment, because I went to I was actually I did a talk in the UK last night and there was another speaker there talking about the link between mind and body and between psychology and physiology. And um, I find that that a really fascinating area because uh, I think that that link is way stronger than most of us believe it to be. So that's that's what's um, interesting me at the moment. What do you understand today about your life that you didn't understand a year ago? A year ago? I don't know whether it would be a year ago, probably around about that. But I think the importance of quiet. Uh, I started doing Tai Chi at home around about probably five or six months ago now. Um, I I went to a retreat uh, up in Scotland in the UK at the start of the year. And I, while I was on the retreat, I was watching somebody out the window doing Tai Chi. I'd never come across it before. And um, that importance of finding peace, I think, uh, has become more important over the, the last 12 months. And I think, that, I, think that, I think that's critically important to us all, you know, and I think the, the more demanding your role in life and business and for the, the leaders, you know, leaders of companies listening, organisations listening to the podcast, I think uh, that need for quiet amongst all of the 
overwhelm and busyness of day-to-day life is is getting more and more important for us all, I think. Mm, And isn't it interesting how peace looks and sounds different through each evolving period of our life? Yeah, absolutely. Complete this thought for us. (laughs) I wish I had paid more attention when... Ooh, I wish I had paid more attention when... Hmm. Well, I, I guess when I was at school, but maybe not necessarily to the the academic lessons I was in, um, but paid more attention to where life could have taken me. Uh, I think, mm. I don't know whether you feel it's the same in America, but in the UK still, I feel that the academic path can funnel people down a fairly narrow path. My interest, as you said uh, in the introduction, I'm a qualified psychologist, but I actually studied maths when I left school because I was good at maths at school. So I ended up doing maths at university without giving it a lot of thought. But if I was to go back uh, then, I think I would have preferred to have looked a bit more broadly and gone on the sort of mindset psychological journey at a younger age rather than waiting till I was, uh, gosh, yeah, sort of in my 30s, really. What is one characteristic that you believe every leader should have? The ability to lead themselves effectively first. So it's not thinking yes. in terms of a characteristic. I think it's it's self belief and um, confidence in yourself first. Really, it all starts with us. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's. I was um, saying in my talk last night. There is no way a leader can uh, effectively lead other people, lead a business if they can't lead themselves effectively first. Eventually, that will catch up with them, uh, and we see that in burnout and stress and all those kind of things. So I think it all starts with our ability to self-lead first. What is something that you failed at? Failed at? Ooh. Well, I'm going to say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, I'd have to say marriage initially. Uh, having I've been divorced for 12 years. I've been in a very happy relationship for 10 years and got a wonderful daughter of 21. But uh, I don't think anybody enters into marriage believing that it's not going to work. So that would have to be, and the impact of that on my daughter and, uh, you know, the, the family around that, that's going to be really, to be honest, my biggest failure. Yeah. But it's, it sounds like what you did there is you took that, that as an opportunity to really learn something about yourself and the impact that you wanted to have as you evolve next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without getting into sort of personal territory too much, but I think, um, I was only talking to a friend about it today. I, I think I've become a much better father uh, than I than mm. I might have been um, had had some of that not happened. So, yeah, I think all of these events in life and business they are a chance to learn more about yourself and dig deeper. Yes. And uh, certainly, my fascination with psychology has come primarily from my own challenges with my own thinking first, um, mm. and. I am by no means perfect, but I'm way better now than I would have been sort of 10 to 20 years ago and uh, have a lot more strategies and approaches to help myself. And and then obviously it's great because you can help other people like we both do, you know, and uh, bring some of our knowledge from our own journeys. Um, I know you know you feel the same about that. That we can bring those experiences and what we've learned and how we've done. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, if you woke up tomorrow and you discovered that everything in life was free, what is the first thing you would do? Oh, <laughs> I would go on a really big holiday to the Caribbean. 
<laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I love the Caribbean. Um, I thought I I I'd do a road trip across America, I think. Yeah, so for me, for me, um, and again, everyone's different, aren't they? My, my life more and more has, has become clearer for me that life is about experience and adventure rather than accumulating things. And that's yeah. only a personal viewpoint. You know, I don't, I don't hanker after uh, expensive cars and, you know, really invested in expensive watches and clothes and all that kind of thing. Um, my my life is more about adventure. I'm a big music fan, go to a lot of concerts, love going around the world a bit. So, yeah, quality time with quality people. Yes, that, I align with that. <laughs> so if you had to break up your life up to this point into three chapters and give each chapter a title, what would that Ooh, be? Oh, these are great questions. These are great (laughs) questions. Okay. Um, I think the first chapter would run from, let's say, probably sort of teenage years to maybe mid-30s. And I would, would, in a way, you know, I'd call those the lost years. Because Mm, uh, I think that from school, Again, I'll talk about the UK. I don't think enough is spoken about the idea of running your own business. Um, so I enter, I went into working for an organisation, working uh, at a local authority, um, not really very motivated in what I was doing, all those kind of things. So uh, up to the age of 35 was when I met my, uh, around about the time I met my uh, wife and I moved into a job which was much more interesting, inspiring. I grew more. I was studying psychology through that time. I had a daughter. So that second phase would have been, um, let's call it the shift. So we've got the lost years and then the shift. Um, and then I'm going to say the third phase. I'm now 56. I'm going to say the third phase has been since I was 50. Uh, and I'm going to call that the time of my life um, wow. because uh, a lot of people say life begins at 40 and 50 or whatever it might be. But okay. um, I think I've become much more comfortable with who I am. I like my, I don't think I've always, certainly through the lost years, I don't think I liked myself really deep down. And I'm not even sure I did that during the, the year, the, the period I called the shift. I think I've grown to like myself a lot more. And um, my business has been, uh, over the 12 years, it's certainly the last six years has been the most successful period really my own business. So, uh, so yeah, that, that, the time of my life. <laughs> what an exciting journey. And to think of what's still left as you continue this path. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what chapter four sounds like. <laughs> we'll do a- when I'm in my 70s right right there you go so okay you really have been able to take your curiosity for psychology and your expertise within leadership and merge it where did all of this start for you yeah I think it started with uh, as I say an initial fascination um about getting to understand myself better really um and certainly uh, i went through a couple of periods of diagnosed depression um around about uh in my sort of 40s and and a bit beyond that and um 
Uh, and so I think that, um, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, that understanding that to achieve my best, I had to work on my own mindset. So I particularly remember 2013 were, was when I turned 50. And the start of the year, um, I went on antidepressants, wasn't in a great place. I'd come out of a failed partnership with another guy in business. And um, I, I always remember just at the start of 2013, just taking stock and thinking, I have all this expertise in psychology and this knowledge, and yet I'm not applying it very well to myself. And um, that was when I, I went through a big change that year, really, I think, that um, and things really started to move on for me. I mean, yeah, I did sit down and redevelop my strategy for my business and actually did a new brand for my company and all those kind of things. But I think the critical thing was saying, get your, get your own headspace right. And um I also read a book around about that time called uh, New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Apparently, I don't know if you've read the book. He's, his famous one is called Power of Now. But um, I know people say the books are life changers, but for me, that was a life changer. Mm-hmm. And um, but one of the key things I took away from that, just stayed with me, is that I'm not my thoughts. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the observing watcher of my thoughts. I'm the person who can sit above my thoughts and I don't have to be controlled by them. They don't have to be the source of my identity. And um, I'm not always perfect with that, but I think that's held me in good stead that when my thinking goes down past a doubtful negative about myself, I can observe them and sort of almost have a conversation with them. And uh, don't, I don't get into that downward spiral so easily anymore. So that was a life changer. And um and I think that although a lot of leaders and business owners may start working with me because they're interested in looking at their skills, their strategy, I think underneath it all, a lot of leaders need help with their own psychology and their confidence and all those yes. aspects like imposter syndrome and all those kind of things, really. So where have you found that our fundamental ways of thinking form? Because it's almost like we all have these strategies and sometimes we're unaware of them, but they tend to show up in our lives and can cause us this impact that it sometimes is not the kind of impact that we want to have on ourselves and the people around us and even through our work. Where does it all start? Yeah, so in my opinion, um, I think we're born with incredible potential. I, I talk in my work, I talk about what I call the battle between the potential self and the destructive self. And I think mm. um, as babies, we're all born with an amazing potential. Um, however, we we do have um, one of the one of the critical things I think that can stifle us is the survival instinct, the more primitive part of our thinking that's based on fear and avoiding risk and avoiding pain and all of those kind of things. And certainly in modern life, I think that part of our thinking can be get way out of uh, proportion, really. And um, so I think that is an initial problematic part of our thinking, the, the survival instinct thinking. But then the, pro- the problem is after that, our minds are being continually programmed. And that can be from our parents, um, it can be what a teacher said at school. It can be experiences with our peers, being bullied, our life experiences, you know, all of those things that occur to us. And, and the problem is, as I, I, I called it programming, we can take all that in without any form of filtering to a degree. 
know, uh, things that are said by parents, we almost unquestionably would take on board as being the truth. And mm-hmm. and our parents may have the best of intentions, but um, it's it's interesting how many times I've been talking to a leader, but we may get into conversations about you know things that were said by their father or their mother and uh, and I see that I see that in friends and family members as well you know that um that can be both uh, inspirational and helpful but it can also be very damaging and it can be damaging in the long term so yeah as I say we, we we're born with the survival instinct within us that can certainly impact our psychology but the programming that we go through through life then and I say that, I think that's where that importance com- comes back to that ability to sit above your thinking. And I said this to to people before, and they started talking about opinions of mothers, fathers, teachers. Uh, I say, but that doesn't have to be your truth, and you don't have to take that on board as your truth. And it's that ability to observe your thinking and be more selective with what you choose to take on board and what you choose to reject. Really, um, that I think. Uh, is has been a big learning part for me, and I think it's an important path for us all. Oh, absolutely! And it almost is as we're going to have to. These things will show up in our lives when we're going through challenging moments, and if we don't invest the time to give ourselves the opportunity to sit down and really think about what our strategies are and how we view and experience and filter the world, then what will happen with this negative programming and these limited beliefs is when we experience moments of challenge, we'll use this confirmation bias that we have to to affirm these negative beliefs. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Because if somebody, uh, I mean, somebody said to me in the past, you're not able to run your own business. Okay, and it was somebody fairly close, and so you can take it on board. And then when something happens, when you're trying to get your business going, and you maybe make a mistake or fail at it, as you say, that's a confirmation of what was said to you, and and that's the problem. We're also human beings. Unfortunately, we're very good at filtering out the good and focusing on the bad. And anyone who's asked for feedback um, knows what that kind of thing is like. You know, if you ask for feedback from twenty people and one one piece of feedback comes back bad. You tend to zoom in on that. In fact, fully enough, I was with a couple of directors today, and um, one they they done like a mini survey in the company, and they got very fixated with one piece of negative feedback. And I went, "Hey, but you know, um, that that's one out of fifteen, sixteen people, and uh, don't get too fixated because we probably know who that person is, and we know that their way of approaching life can be quite cynical and negative anyway." Uh, so yeah we we it's so dangerous because we can get quite fixated on negative feedback and i say the more important the person is to us it gives us an opinion about us the, the problem is the more we can take that on board as the truth the you know whereas it's a perspective isn't it at the end of the day and it's whether we value that perspective or not it is. And it's it's interesting how we don't have a you would think that we would have a class that as soon as we turn 18 and go out into the workforce, it would challenge our perspectives of the world and make sure that we're filtering things through the right re- viewpoint and giving us the strategies to really understand what good versus great looks like when it comes to our mindset and the challenges we're going to face. But unfortunately, we don't. And 
it's left to our own demise to figure that out as we experience challenges, right? Because succeeding through life, that's the easy part, getting the jobs and finishing school and getting the promotions and more money. But it's when we hit those challenges where we really start to have to look in, look deeper and think about how do we deconstruct the mind? Where does someone start when they are saying, you know what, I want to make sure that I'm viewing my mindset through the filter and the lens of a leader. How do they objectively do that? And where do they start? Yeah, well, you see, I think one of the fundamental problems in the human condition is that a lot of people start from a position of not being good enough. And Mm. uh, I, I think one of the simple things I do with leaders is to get them to appreciate their uh, qualities, their progress, um, those kind of things. Because I think that I spoke earlier, Charlie, about this battle between potential self and destructive self. I think the, the destructive right. side of our thinking can take hold way too much. There is a lot of statistics around on this. But I was quoting some uh, last night from the National Science Foundation that says that we have something like twelve to 60,000 thoughts a day, but 80% of them are more negative in nature. So I, th- so, I th- so I think the battle for a leader, in fact, a battle for anybody in terms of mindset, is to look to start to redress that. And you know, you know, that can be with the help of somebody like me, starting to get to see their progress, their achievements. Again, I was um, talking to a director today about the incredible progress they've made in terms of improving their turnover in their business. But they didn't really see that because they've had a slightly more challenging year over the last 12 months. Um, they don't see four-year journey that I, I was looking at. And I think for us all, uh, actually, I mean, one of the one of the stra- simple strategies that I adopt is, end of the day, I write at least five good things about down about the day, at the end of every month, I reflect on the achievements and the good things for the month. End of each year, I spend a hunk of time going and sitting in a coffee shop just writing about the year, particularly focusing on the good stuff. Because what I'm consciously doing there is shifting my programming to see progress, um, achievements, etc. To redress the, what I see as the normal tendency in human nature to zoom in on the the things that haven't been done, the things that are problematic, the fact they're not good enough, all of those things. So I and I encourage leaders that I work with and, and people I come across when I'm speaking at events to to do more of that as well. And, and you know, hey, we can do it with our children as well. The particularly teenagers, they tend to have tend to filter the world through I say that, a bit of a generalization, but tend to filter the world through a fairly cynical you know, filter. And um, I think getting us all to shift the way that we process life is is a really important starting point to improve the mindset. Right. And many of us don't really spend enough time there. And you think about how critical it is to how we lead our life and the impact that yeah. we leave. We are an autopilot. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of our um, lives are on autopilot. I talk about concepts things they do because i think too many leaders too many of us in general terms are way too focused on getting up doing getting the task list getting going but not hitting the pause button and examining the way that we're thinking and how we see our world and doing something to sh- and doing something mm-hmm. to shift that um 
you know, I, I think most leaders are guilty of not having enough quality reflection time uh, because we're, a lot of people are really busy. And the thought of actually pausing and taking some time just to reflect and do these things, you know, they can be saying, wow, you know, I've got a million and one things to do. Uh, I don't have the luxury of having that time. But that's actually critical. Going back to that whole self-leadership piece, investing some time in yourself. And I see quality reflection time as part of that is, is critical for any leader um, rather than just having your heads down, getting tasks done, getting projects done, all of those kinds. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting how um, you mentioned how we don't spend enough time with quality reflection and we just get back to getting so busy because our careers are typically one of those constant things in our lives. So it's easy to get fixated on. I can just complete task A, B and C and I know there will be an outcome. But we never really stop to pause and think what it's taking out of us or how we want to lead it with the positive impact next or if it's draining us. Yeah, and, and also our task A, B and C, actually the right tasks that are going to have the best results. That's the, that's the other yes. key thing. Uh, I use the analogy of climbing mountains. You know, we're all out there climbing mountains every day, but how do we know we're actually climbing the right mountain? Or, or actually taking the right path up the mountain. We may just have our heads down, climbing up it. And uh, as you say, doing task ABC, when you stand back from it and you think, hang on a minute, was, was task ABC the right thing to do? And you see that in failed businesses, you know, some classic examples like, like Kodak, for example, who probably just never really took enough time as an organisation to stand back and say, hang on a minute, the, the climate's changing here. So question, we have organizations that have plans on how to grow and expand their market share and their business and get a return on their investment. How do leaders design their own personal leadership development plan that can help them build relevant skill sets, channel their purpose and keep them conscious while not necessarily only taking into account the plan that has built been built for them through their work, but one that integrates their life Ooh, as okay. well. Okay, interesting question. So I guess there's a couple of things that come to mind here. Um one simple approach, which comes from sort of life coaching days, really, could be in the wheel of life. Um, so as a leader, you could draw a circle and put on uh, probably eight spokes and look at different aspects of life and work, really, which could be your your family relationships, your home, your um, personal hobbies, maybe your health and fitness uh, maybe work and career is one of those spokes and then score them out of 10 and look at where you're falling short really look at how wonky the wheel is when you draw it around and which are the areas that look like they need some sort of attention uh, and then start to put your own plan in place for your life really um, because I think that's the problem as well a lot of leaders can be so fixated on business they neglect their health, they neglect their relationships, they neglect their hobbies, they, yes. they neglect so many things. So that can be one aspect of it. I think the other thing that can be useful is in some sort, some form of psychometric testing um, or personality testing. I, when I work with leaders in the UK, I've got my own test that looks at certain personality traits and emotional intelligence traits and 
that can flag up some things to work on uh, in terms of you know personal character development, personal skills as well. Um, but yeah, I think again, it's taking time out to do a bit of a personal audit almost on aspects of your life in a broader mm. sense and you know certain skills or whatever that you you feel are important that you don't have but yeah i think it's it's doing a form of personal audit whatever the whatever that looks like to the person really it's interesting when you do the psychometric testing what you really learn about yourself and even in an objective way some things that you would have never thought about that end up coming yeah out for that. sure and it's um i mean just a very quick share on that actually i did um myers-briggs when i was at work uh years ago um oh. And my Myers-Briggs type hasn't changed hugely over the years. Um, but for anyone who knows Myers-Briggs, I'm, yeah, I'm an ENFJ. And uh, we, we, the, interesting, the interesting bit for me is the J bit, I think, more than the others, because I'm a very strong J. And the problem with that can be that, um, okay, so for people who don't know the Myers-Briggs uh, personality type indicators, the J is more an indication that you like to have structure, clo things closed down, sorted, whereas somebody who's a P can allow things to be more open-ended um, and go with the flow a little bit more. Now, as with them all, they can bring good and bad. The J for me brings the fact that I'm typically a well-organized person. I turn up things on time, all of those kind of things. But it, but it can bring stress <laughs> in that you want to close things that you don't necessarily have control over. And a, and a big learning for me, which I'm still on the journey of, in all fairness, is understanding that I can't control uh, every situation and people and all those kind of things. So it's it's learning to relax with certain things and realizing that um, I've got an, an area that I can control, structure and organize, but there are things that maybe are outside of that. And it's been a bit more selective and not getting too preoccupied with having to have everything lined up and sorted. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I'm an ENTJ. What are your favorites that you would recommend? What, in terms of tests? Yes. Um, yeah, Myers-Briggs, I think. I've come across three or four. And um, I, in, I, hey, I think it's personal preference. I've never been a big fan of DISC, for example. I know it's very popular, but not hugely for me. Uh, I've done Wealth Dynamics, which is very interesting as well. But I do like Myers-Briggs because I think, it's um it's typically quite a simple test to do and i haven't often come across people who would dispute what comes out of it uh, certainly in my experience and i think that that it gives you quite a lot of insights into the way that you process life and situations so yeah that's my own personal favorite nice and so you know it's one thing to mention you notice that with the portion of your myers test that you had that part of wanting to control or have some structure to yeah. the things that happen. It's one thing discovering that insight and it's another of knowing what to do with it to harness it for growth. That's true. And that's what where, did you do? Uh, well, I've, I, I've worked with, and I know I'm a coach myself, but I've worked with coaches all through my life. And um, so I think, and I think this is the thing, isn't it? You can't self-coach very well. <laughs> um, so even as a coach, I don't think you, you can sell coach hugely well, although there's an element of that. There's a, again, going back to that use of word consciousness, be, be more consciously aware. I think that helps because you can start to notice 
when you're going down a particular path or reacting to something and realizing that um you know that 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 that's because you need to control and structure but i think having good people around you whether that be coaches or also people in your own personal life who will be honest with you and uh, give you feedback maybe on those kind of things is is also good Mm, that's such a strong point and and i love how you said that we really have to keep people close to us who understand what that organic journey looks like yeah because sometimes we can be so much into our own minds that we need that objective perspective yeah it's pulling yourself out of that isn't it and uh it's, it's something you can certainly improve your ability to do it on your own. But um, I think having somebody you trust who can pull you out of it and uh, give you some feedback as well is uh, really useful. And I think actually for on the subject of feedback, I think we can all get much better at receiving a welcoming feedback. Um, mm, yes. you, can, you can learn so much. If you don't take it too personally, um, you can learn so much from it. Very true. So many insights that we've dug into, and it's certainly only barely scratching the surface. (laughs) As we wrap up the show, we love to have our guest experts leave our audience with the leadership challenge based on our conversation. If you had to think about a way to challenge our audience when it comes to self-leadership, what challenge would you give them? Okay, uh, what I'm going to chat, uh, and this is generally off the cuff because we haven't planned this, have we, Shirley? <laughs> I, no, I would say um, a big challenge is I think one of the, the key indicators of how we program ourselves is the language that we use. I was talking about this mm-hmm. uh, at a, an event last night. My challenge for people listening to the podcast is to go away and for the next month, uh, be much more conscious of the language they're using when they're involved in internal self-talk, but also when they're expressing themselves to people. And notice when that language becomes more doubtful, negative, and look to quickly address that. Uh, I mean, just in a simple example of that, um, one of the most commonly used words I hear uh, around about over the years in my work is people using the word try. Uh, I, I'll try and do that. Um, and what try means is I'm giving myself a get out. Um, so so for mm. the challenge for your listeners is to go away, use more certain language, particularly about what they're doing and what they're going to do, and also be more positive about themselves. We can be incredibly harsh in the language we use about ourselves, way harsher than if we were talking about somebody else. So go away use more certain language and also be a lot kinder to yourself in the language that you use when you're having your own internal dialogues, which we're having all the time, but also certainly if you talk to other people about yourself. It doesn't, doesn't have to come across egotistically, but mm. just be, be a little bit more kinder and a bit more positive about yourself. Now that's a powerful challenge there. I encourage everyone to check out Tony's podcast called My Leadership Mindset, where Tony continues to expound all of these insights that give you practical steps to lead your path and help you within your own organization and with your teams. If you're interested in taking a leadership diagnostic, Tony has a great resource on his website to help you better understand your own leadership mindset. And that will be included in the show notes along with his book. To our listeners, the ball is in your court. I challenge you to take action continue the difficult conversations, and reach out to Tony to partner with him in your leadership journey. You are listening to Flipping the Script 
Leadership Behind the Scenes. We'll see you on our next episode. Thank you so much, Tony. If you found even the smallest nugget of wisdom in this episode, share it with a friend and your friend will thank you. Let's continue the conversation with like-minded leaders and join us on Facebook at Go Flip the Script. Until next time, I challenge you to incorporate what you learned today to evolve your leadership impact.